obviously a big weekend in or weekend, uh, big, big week in the Champions League. First leg of the semifinals are through and uh, with, uh, you know, just two more games left until we get to the Champions League title game. I just um, want to see with you guys first. How you guys doing? Chilling, chilling, man. I was saying I was telling the group chat, like not even Atlanta traffic is this bad. <laughs> but, uh, man, I was there was an accident on the Garden State Parkway. Wow, it took me like 40 minutes to get out of that, bro. So it was terrible. But I'm doing all right other than that. Yeah, traffic uh, traffic on the parkway is always tough. Kaor? Yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure all of us can re- relate to the uh, GSP traffic. Uh, not a big fan of it, but none- nevertheless, thanks, Randy, for joining us, you know, on the road. Still uh, still dedicated to the team. Uh, but, you know, excited to be here. Uh, another week. I think we're almost getting to the end of uh, school and everything for us. So, uh, um, you know, it's been, I'm sure it's been a little, a little hectic for all of us, but uh, I'm sure all of us are glad to kind of take a break from everything and be here to talk, like Chris mentioned, some Champions League. So I'm thinking we actually start with today's game just because it's fresh in everyone's minds. Um, so a game that sort of was a tale of two halves uh psg going up one nil uh city unable to really get anything going but uh, until the second half when they just sort of you know it felt like they were scoring at will at times and they ended up winning that one um by a score of two to one although given the way city was playing in that game really controlling the run of play it felt like they probably should have won by three or uh four to one yeah, I think uh, from what I had seen, the tide of the game completely shifted um, after the half. Like you mentioned, PSG was up 1-0 going into the uh, first half. And then uh, Man City was still there, uh, you know, hoping to kind of just claw back. And Pep Guardiola's guys, uh, I think they're kind of playing with their lives on the line right now. And uh, I'll read off some, uh, some I guess, interesting stats that I had uh, seen uh, after uh, we get Vandy's input on it. But, yeah, I think overall... It was it was a very uh, it was a very interesting um, I guess match nonetheless. But listen, nobody else saw PSG kind of struggling as much as they did in the second half. But hey, all credits to Man City. I don't know why my screen is black, but that's another story. But um, <laughs> I thought that Man City and Man City first half and Man City second half were two completely different teams. What a show! What a goal by um, uh, to break! What a goal to 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 break the line and, and take the take the lead for Man City. That I mean, that was crazy the free kick there. But uh, overall, I thought that coming into the game, I thought that PSD would win. Um, but Mares, man, he he that kind of was like turning the tide of the momentum. City took the lead and kind of held on to it. And, and you're right. Um, Chris, I felt like it should have been 4-1 or 3-1. They definitely should have won by more. Uh, but Man City, I don't know if they are the favorite to, to win it or the maybe the second favorite to win it, but the way they played in the first half, I thought that PSG would, would be would be able to come out of this uh, the two legs on top. But if Man City plays like that in the next match that they play, I, I, think, they, I think they should have no problem with advancing. Yeah, and, you know, as a City fan, it was kind of frustrating because even in the beginning part of the game, there were periods where City sort of was able to stretch the possessions together and 
the build-up play was there, but it, it looked like once they got into the final third that they just ran out of ideas. Um, and, you know, I think it was like um, trying to think of the stat. Peter Drury mentioned it on CBS um, that like 30 minutes into the game, City had like three touches inside the opposite 18. I mean, they just could not get anything going on the attacking side of the field, but um, they were they were able to sort of regroup and um, the last 60 minutes of that game were really just all city. It felt like. Yeah. And then to add, I would say insult to injury, they got a red card uh, in I believe the 71st minute um, or 77th minute. So after Riyad Mahrez had, you know, taken that free kick to give city the lead, uh, it made it incredibly much more difficult to, uh, um, for PSG to, I guess, get back in the match now knowing that they're down to 10 men. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's, um, it's kind of interesting to see, but like it, the weird thing about it is, um, you know, it felt the way the game was being played it almost felt like they were already down to 10 men before that red card, just because it's, it felt like PSG was always on the back foot, always, you know, having to send numbers back to defend. And, you know, um, I just think it was a bit, it was a bit strange really to see how much that game shifted um, as it progressed. No, it's, it's funny too. Like if you think about the way City played in the second half, you would think that a Bayern would have a better chance to score even without uh, Lewandowski. In that second leg, like the way Bayern went out, and I, I, I'm mad we miss, we're missing our host to, to provide analysis on this one, but the way Bayern went out, it was like you saw what City was able to pick them apart. Why couldn't Bayern do the same thing? Like, PSG isn't known for having this stout defense, you know. I feel like you can I feel like the way they the way they defend, you can you can you can have some chances to score. So it was really strange to see them go out the way they did. Uh I did expect them to score. Um but but yeah, man. I think I think Man City they just maybe they needed maybe they needed that little nudge to say, "Hey, wake up. You're in the semifinals." Like it's go time. I, maybe they needed to be down 1-0 to realize, okay, this is the moment we have to go take, we have to go seize the opportunity because sometimes when you're the favorite and you see this all, in all across sports, whenever you're the favorite, sometimes you, not that PSG is inferior to um, to City, it's just like when you're expected to do something, you perform less than expectation because you, you just think that you're going to do it. But, so, and then when you get that little punch in the face or that wake up call in the first round, it's like, all right, now, 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 let's get into gear, and now let's get into form. And that Man City that we saw in the second half is what much people expected coming into this one. Yeah, I think you really summed it up very well. And you know, um, I, I think it's interesting. You know, City could have walked away one-one, and it would have been um, a pretty good spot for them because of the away goals rule. But to pick up to not only get the win, pick up two away goals. Um, you know, PSG have to win two nil in order to uh, win the win the tie and go on to the Champions League final. Um, so I think that that definitely puts City in a, in, a, in a position where okay, they can sit back a bit more defensively. Uh, they don't have to rush out and get a goal because they know that they've got that bit of a safety net. And you know, I think it's going to be interesting to see um, how PSG uh, shapes up for the second for the second leg. I wish my Chelsea could be saying the same thing as Timo Werner. It's like probably the most unlucky footballer on the planet at the moment, but I'll save that for another time. 
I was going to say, um, I, I was, I mean, KR, unless you have anything else to add about City, um, I was ready to move on to uh, the game that was played on Tuesday, Chelsea and Real Madrid. Now, that was a game that I honestly, I didn't see a ton of it. So I'm going to let uh, you take the floor on it, Vandy. But um, I think we've got all the makings of a classic second leg in this one. Yeah, I mean, uh, Hazard, it was expected that he was going to come on as a sub, which he did. So it was, you know, nice nice to see a former Chelsea great out there. But he didn't, really didn't have an impact on the game. He only played around 30 minutes. But that was expected. Um, it was a rainy game. So the atmosphere was, you know, a little bit tricky. Um, you couldn't really see the rain, obviously, from a far vantage point. But when they zoomed in, you saw how the jerseys were soaked and it was pouring. Uh the way Chelsea started, it was like, wow, this team has an opportunity to win this one. Um, and as they sometimes do. But we just, that final third, we just got to get better at it. I know we came away 1-1, but it should not have been 1-1 if you watch that game. I think in the first half, uh, Real Madrid had 54% possession. Um, uh, and, and the game you know, was relatively even. If you even look at the Benzema goal that he scored, that's just a crazy goal. Like, it was literally like a... Uh, a volley off of a uh, off of uh, a goal inside the box, like battling against the man. Chelsea could have won this game too well if you think about that. But um, other than that, uh, Timo Werner he had an opportunity to score. Uh, ball got whipped into him, and he he tapped it down. And Courtois made an un- improbable save. I, I don't know where he got that got that skill from because Courtois never came up that big for us. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, <laughs> no shots fired. But he made a great save, and Werner, I feel like he just – he scored his first goal um, before this game. So the, the last Premier League game we had, he scored his first goal of the season. And he's been one of the most unlucky footballers. Um, I think he's just not playing with confidence right now. And then he had another chance uh, where it was a three-on-two. And instead of passing it back to uh, Pulisic or Mount on the left of him, he shot for a goal, didn't even cross and cut his defender inside, just fired it for goal, went way off. And it's slippery. Remember, I said it's raining. So I didn't think that was a good shot. So his decision-making in the final third has to be better. Um, he's putting himself in the right positions as he usually does. But I think Chelsea, and we came away with a vital away goal, which we should have had too. That's why I'm complaining. But Chelsea's in a position to go to the semis or to go to the final and events from the semis and uh, we're doing everything. We're doing everything the right way. It'd be cool if it's an all English team final, but uh, it, it, Chelsea they're playing. They're playing at a really good level. Our defense is is getting to where it needs to be, but there's just a little bit more things we have to do, especially with a Real Madrid. You can't give them any breath of hope. Yeah, I was gonna say, uh, especially with a team like Real, like you mentioned, you know they've done this in the past and they know uh, what it's gonna take. But I think it was very interesting to see Chelsea kind of play with this class demeanor, um, especially with so many young talent and young players on there. And I feel like that's just uh, the effect of Tuchel. And he's kind of came on there, taking the, um, I guess, task or, or challenge of uh, playing with such a diverse um, squad of players. But I, I still can't get over the fact, the impact Christian Pulisic. I, there might be a little bit of bias here, Vandy, but... No, he's nasty. He's nasty. Yeah. First American to score in the Champions League semifinal. He's nasty. He deserves all the credit. Yeah, he's he completely revitalized that team, at least in the first, you know, 20 minutes or so until Benzema had equalized. But, um, yeah, and then you had, you know, I guess, 
Chelsea had a bunch of sh- a bunch of chances and they should have scored and you know they they had their opportunity to kind of make a statement but um again I think you you got to be at, at, you know I guess satisfied with the results but I saw similarities between how uh we had ultimately seen um you know Chelsea start off very strong and then kind of get back into poorer form as the game as as the match went on and similarly if i if i go look at the psg and man city match it's the same thing psg once uh you know they gave up the equalizer they were completely de- demoralized and uh they essentially kind of stopped playing and, and just stopped trying to um to go ahead and and kind of you know either stop man city or try to um get another goal back but i i think Chelsea, to be honest, might be might be one of those um, if they can play to their highest potential, which we've seen them do uh, recently, um, they can be a pretty pretty good dark horse to kind of mow their way into into this um, Champions League finals. Yeah, and you know, I just think it's you know putting aside the whole uh, analysis of the tie, I just think it's really impressive that Christian Pulisic has uh, developed to the level that he's developed to. I mean, how many years did we see where, you know, the best an American player would get to would be, you know, Clint Dempsey occasionally making the Europa League with uh, Fulham, um, you know, a couple of uh, a couple guys playing like, you know, a mid table Premier League team, but um, to see an American like Christian Pulisic, not just, you know, make an appearance on the team, but like, you know, he's contributing, he's scoring goals. He's really a key part of what that Chelsea team is capable of. Um, I think it really says a lot about how soccer has developed in the country. And I think it says a lot about where American soccer is headed. Cause not only do you have Christian Pulisic, but you've got, um, you know, a lot of other guys coming up the ranks, Weston McKenney over at Juventus. I'm talking, you know, guys like Giovanni Reina at Dortmund, um, Serginio Dest at Barcelona. Um, you know, we could be looking a couple of years from now at a, at a United States men's national team that is made up in large part of starters from some of the biggest teams in the world. Um, and I think even five years ago, that would have seemed to be a fantasy, but looks like American soccer's in, uh, at least from a future perspective, in the best position it's been in for a while. And yeah, it's it's it's. I think it's important for a, a parent, from an apparent standpoint, for someone like Kulisic to go out there and do what he did. Um, it, it inspires a generation of young American soccer players, but it also shows that you can succeed as an American soccer player on an international stage. Um, so I think he, you know, he's only 22 years old. We gotta keep that in mind. He has so many more years left to. to to continue to get better and it's really good for the game. But I just want to read off a prophecy for those Chelsea fans out there that may be uh, reminiscing on 2012. So in 2012, we beat a Portuguese team to reach the quarters and this year we beat Porto. Uh, We beat a Spanish team to reach the final and this year we're playing Madrid. Unfortunately, we won't be playing Bayern in the final because they couldn't do what they needed to do against PSG. Uh, But if you can, if you want to take it for what it's worth, uh, City does have some German players on their side, so we can use that. <laughs> but in all seriousness, um, this year is shaping up, and I, I said it when we had the draw on the podcast a couple 
weeks ago. This this draw is literally perfect for Chelsea. Um, you have the advantage now going going into Stamford Bridge for the next game, and the path is set for you to make it to the final. So let's see what they can do. And you're playing a team that you're familiar with, although they obviously, um, if if City does pull it out, which I think they do, they're obviously the better side. But you have a side that you know the players and you've played them year in and year out, so it should make for a fun final. Yeah, I think that's probably um, the only hope I guess Chelsea can have. I mean, they're doing all they can. Whoa, right? whoa, 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 whoa. Not Listen, <laughs> I, I have more faith in them than probably a Manchester United fan should, okay? Uh, okay, okay. But, I, I give it to you. I give it to you. But I, I listen, I want them to win because they, they honestly, in my opinion, deserve it more than any of the other teams because they've worked that hard, right? Um, but I also want to read off some stats from, I guess, just this past two days of Champions League, right? Um, so first I want to start with Christian Pulisic because we had basically talked about him. One interesting stat I found was so versus Porto when he played, he had 11 fouls won and then versus Real, he had six fouls won. Sometimes there are games where teams have like 11 fouls or six fouls won total. So I would say in that, that sense, like you can see the impact player that Christian Pulisic is trying to be because, because of him, the games, you know, either changing or getting slowed down. Um, and another player that kind of stood out based on a stat was N'Golo Kante. We know this guy's a machine. He's kind of, um, you know, stepped up really, really big coming over from Le- uh, Leicester City um, and, and you know, being put into this, I guess, helm of being a veteran now on Chelsea in one way or another. But he has uh, – so in this Real Madrid game today, he completed more dribbles, which was six, than the entire Real Madrid team, which was five. Uh and he also basically controlled the entire game. And then the last stat that I want to read was Thomas Tuchel, who has came up against the following managers when he became charged. He got the job of uh, being the manager at Chelsea, right? He came up against these following managers. Mourinho, Jurgen Klopp, Ancelotti, Guardiola, Zidane, and Simone. And he hasn't lost any of them. He's beat every single one of these probably you know future legendary managers or you know talked about managers in the next couple of years but i think this kind of shows uh vandy i'm sure you can attest to this just the growth of chelsea um go ahead attention please yeah they they've kind of you know i guess just grown from uh being this trolled about team that many people have kind of talked about uh and to now being a serious contender, uh, not only in the Prem, but in the world. I think, I can, I guess I can kill two birds with one stone with the answer. I think the problem with Chelsea is our selection of players, our starting 11. Um, not necessarily the play style. Like, uh, I think that Lampard was offensive-minded, of course. But it, he just wasn't choosing the right formations. Like, when we had Bashuai, he wasn't playing him enough. When we had Pulisic, you would play him, then not play him, play him, then not play him. Like, sometimes you just have to, sometimes you just have to string the right players together. And if, and when you're a young footballer and you're out there playing 30 minutes a game every two weeks, you don't know, you can't gain a rhythm for the game. You can't gain, gain chemistry with your teammates. You're just completing passes, completing dribbles. You can't gain that rhythm. So I think right now, Chelsea's in one of those strides where they find the right 11. You got, you know, Chilwell in very good form. Uh, Zuma's, you know, back in good form. Cesar's back there doing his thing. 
Um, and the young midfield, Mount is another player that I definitely got to give some credit to because he's 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 doing great, you know, at Academy product performing this year. But I think, yeah, Chelsea, one of Chelsea's biggest things is like, sometimes I just look at the starting 11, I'm just like, why isn't Pulisic out there? Why is he a sub still? Like, why why is there a doubt to whether he should be a starter on this team or not? I think he should start every game for the rest of the season as long as he's healthy and able to do so. Um, and I, I was saying that I was thinking that from the beginning of the season. So I think it was just a matter of stringing together the correct 11. And Tuchel has done that. Um, obviously, he's more defensive minded than Lampard was. But I think that matters in terms of uh, building a strong team because Chelsea, I never thought Chelsea was an inferior team to any of the remaining 16 when the draw first came out. Um, it was just a matter of like finding a cohesive unit, a cohesive 11 that will work for us. And it, and it, and it has this season. And, uh, Tuchel is making the best use of it. The players should get the credit, but he should also um, be, be recognized, you know, taking down so many juggernaut managers um, along this run. So yeah, he's definitely doing a great job. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting to see the job that he's done with Chelsea so far. And, you know, that's a team that's loaded with talent. So um be interesting to see how that second leg uh, against Madrid uh, squares off. But I wanted to shift gears for a moment. Um, and now that we're, um, you know, getting towards the back end of the uh, of the regular season for uh, uh, for soccer and Champions League grinding down, um, it's for season is soon upon us. And um, something interesting that I saw uh, just a little while ago, um, it looks like we might be looking at potential swap uh, this offseason between PSG and Barcelona. Uh, the rumor is that PSG have made Messi a pretty generous offer for a two-year deal. And there are also rumors that Neymar uh, could be potentially uh, trying to work behind the scenes to try to get himself back to Barcelona. Um, so it looks like we could have an indirect swap of Neymar and Lionel Messi, uh, summer. So, um, you know, I'm interested to get your guys take on what you make of that. First of all, Messi is leaving Barcelona in the summer. I just don't know where. And that's like one of the most tricky things to figure out. Um, that'll be actually, if you're a Barcelona fan, if you're, if you work for Barcelona, that's the best case scenario. You're literally getting a player in his prime, who's considered the third best player in the world by a lot of people. So that's the best case scenario for, for Barcelona. There is no other scenario that's better than that. Not, not to my mind. Um, if the, if you're allowing Messi to walk, which you should, I don't know why you, you, he's given his heart and soul to the club. You should allow him to walk. Um, you should want some, you should want some collateral for that. And uh, what I know Neymar, he's moved around a ton. And he's always been a player that's been in transfer rumors. He's always been a player that they said he's unhappy. He's this, that he's that. He's the third. I think Barcelona, he had the most fun. So it would be cool to see him go back. Obviously, uh, we don't have Messi, Suarez, Neymar, that partnership up top. But I think he, he, he'll he be able to perform there with the with the new young, young guns around him. And I think uh, Barcelona should do that. They should find a way to to appease Messi on his way out and not have a bad, a bad taste in his mouth. You know, what's interesting to me is that even though, um, you know, Messi and Neymar are still the talking points of this swap or, or trade or, you know, whatever you might call it. Um, 
again, both players still have the potential to be, you know, game play or game changers and star players for whatever teams they do go on or are going to end up on by the end of the swap, right? Uh, the one thing I'm interested in is what does Kylian Mbappe have to say about this uh, and whether or not he's going to have a chat about Neymar and say, hey, listen, man, I envision my future with you. You know, we could really do something here at PSG. They already have. Um, just got to lift some more trophies now. But um, other than that, I don't know. Like, you think Mbappe in my mind is like, do I let my relationship with Neymar go to be able to play with Messi? Um, one of, if not the best players, you know, in the game of football and, and uh, or do I continue, you know, trying to be the best team in the decade or, or in this whatever time span you might consider it with Neymar and whoever, or whatever the future of PSG is. And I also thought uh, Pep Guardiola's comments were pretty interesting. He said um, specifically, quote, I hope Leo ends his career at Barcelona because he won't find a better club. What must be done, as Kraft once said, is to return to your roots that made Barca a special club. So Pep Guardiola, someone who um, would be in pole position to benefit from Messi forcing his way out, um, you know, he, he thinks that, um, you know, it'd be right for Messi to end his career at Barcelona. I thought that was um, pretty interesting. You usually don't hear a manager say that about a player for a different club. Nah, it definitely is, but I just don't I just don't I just see Messi unhappy there. And I don't I feel like it'd suck if he ends his career unhappy. What do you think he does retire? I think that's the the least likely thing to happen. I mean he still has I I would say three good years in him. Um at this at this juncture in his career, I don't think he I don't think he's supposed to retire. So I I don't think he should stay in Barcelona either. See that's I feel like that's the biggest I would say question mark I have in this. Um, is is Messi gonna basically risk his uh, reputation with the club, um, and, and how he may kind of retire or leave from the game in order to go pursue, you know, his last couple of years with another team, or is he just gonna bite the bullet and say, "Hey, listen, I'm gonna play for another two, three years. He's gonna make it out with Barcelona, and then just go from there." Um. Again, he still has years left, but what do you guys think? Do you think like he'll I, I like I wouldn't be honestly surprised if he stays at Barcelona. He's gonna have not that they suck, because Barcelona can't suck. It's I think that's impossible. They're not gonna be at the same level. I can't see them I just can't see them uh I can't see them getting to another final. I mean, for Barcelona the expectations are so high every year. You know, I feel like it's like Either Champion League semis or finals or bust or something. Either top top two, top three um, in La Liga or bust for Barcelona because you're, you're either the richest or the second richest club in the world. So um, I don't. I, I just can't see them making it to another final um, during Messi's um, last last years with them. Just just because of the supporting cast has just been getting less and less and less each year. Um, PK's getting older. Um, and a, a couple of the a couple of other key players are are sure to move on, um, and he, and now you're just betting on the young talent to develop faster than maybe expectations were. So I don't know. I feel like if you're Messi, either retire early or go to another team. But I don't think you I don't think you you stay for stay for the club. I feel like it's gonna be. I don't want to see him go out 
you know, on a on a bad note at Barca. I don't think that'd be a good look. Yeah, and you know, I I think it's you know kind of jarring because ever since I started watching soccer, Lionel Messi was the face of FC Barcelona. I mean, going back to like the late two thousands, that's who he was. Um, so the idea of seeing him in another jersey uh, for any team, be it you know if he ended up going to my club, Manchester City, if he went to um, you know another uh, team in La Liga or whatever it may be. Um, you know, that would just be so odd and unusual. And, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It just, I, I don't think he stays just because it feels like the bridges have been burned beyond repair, but it, it, it's just, it, it says a lot about Barca's leadership that they weren't able to keep their franchise guy happy. Like it's, it's, a, it's really an indictment of them. If I'm being honest. Hey, don't don't act like the guy's already left. He's still there. <laughs> he's, still... he's on his way out. No, but no. it's the honest. But but Kaor, like you could tell, he's not happy. Even if they somehow managed to keep him, it'll be because they were able to get him to change his mind at the last minute, and and you know not because they did a good job. Like they've already botched this horribly, and whether or not it gets fixed on a short, you know, whether or not they can fix it in time. No, it kind of doesn't change the fact that they messed us up. I mean, that's exactly what happened in the previous transfer window, right? He was ready to go. His agent was ready to go. His dad was talking to other teams about already, like, you know, leaving Barcelona. But I think in the end that, see, for me, it's the same thing. Like, if I'm Messi, do I leave Barcelona again to play for a couple of years? Or do I stick with the team that I've stuck with for almost, you know, 20, 30 years now, basically? Um, yeah, if you include his youth time, for sure. Yeah, so I think it's um, it's just but uh, yeah, separation anxiety is, is is probably the term I'm looking for. Yeah, and I'm saying this as like a, a fan who has no you know interest one way or another in Barcelona. Like, if I were a Barca fan, I, I could not words would not be able to describe the rage that I would feel about that. Um, you know, and I, I can't imagine what Barca fans would be saying if he did ultimately leave. But I don't know. It's just it's crazy. It's crazy that we're even talking about this. It's crazy that Barcelona have uh, put themselves in this position. Um, and, you know, I, I just, you know, it's kind of kind of kind of shocking, if I'm being honest. So, I mean, looking at that, um, I, I think. We're still seeing a bit of the fallout from the uh, UEFA, no, not UEFA, the European Super League uh, fiasco that dominated the headlines last week, as you guys remember. Um, you know, now it looks like a couple of clubs might be up for sale. Arsenal could be bought uh, by the CEO of Spotify. And, you know, it looks like one way or another, there's going to be a shakeup at the leadership. There already has been. I mean, Kaor, your club, Manchester United already firing their CEO and looks like the Glazers might want out at some point. I think, um, you know, this isn't really an on-field thing, but I'm kind of interested to get your guys' thoughts on, you know, what the fallout from the European Super League project ends up being. Yeah, I think this is something, uh, again, that was going to come after the debacle or the nightmare of an idea that the Super League was. Uh, 
again, we mentioned last week that all the clubs are essentially tainted. Uh, Chris, you know, I, I know you mentioned this a lot off air about how that reputation of being a part of the Super League is always going to stick with them no matter what or how many years down the line. Um, and I think, yeah, those changes at the helm, uh, at the in the chairs that make the decisions for the club are going to be made and probably made, you know, pretty soon, if not in the summer transfer window. Um, and again, I think this is just in a sense where the players feel more comfortable playing for uh, an owner or a manager even that is, you know, against being or separating themselves from their roots. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm honestly not surprised, but I, I probably assume there will be more changes to come. I think uh, what's said has to be um, said when it comes to the Super League, like trash talk. Uh, we know how bad it was. It's kind of just the big clubs pitting themselves against the little ones, um, and, and it hasn't been a, a good look. One thing I might add, too, because I think we didn't really touch on this last week, was the fact that um, 2024 would be the reforming of the Champions League. And I think one downside is the fact that clubs are going to be playing an extreme amount of games. They're already playing a crazy amount um and just to see that kind of being ramped up because of the that that sort of new uh format proposal it just sucks if you're a player it's just like i think uh gundahan had sent out a tweet this week and was talking about like yeah it's crazy man so i'm just thinking about that now yeah and you know i feel like a lot of the ramifications of this um are, are still developing. And I think I'll put it to you this way, like whether um, what we get is the reform champions league proposal that was being talked about by UEFA and a lot of clubs are interested in voting for, or whether something else comes, I think you're going to see, especially in these countries like England and Spain that don't have the 50 plus one model that uh, the German clubs have. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of pressure, not just like fan pressure, but like political pressure to move towards that model. Um, and I think in England more than anywhere else, it's going to be interesting to see how the back and forth uh, of that goes um, in terms of, um, you know, trying to restructure the ownership. Cause I'll put it to you this way. I think fans across Europe are very concerned that something like this could happen again. And I think they want to work proactively to stop it from happening again. Um, and I think that's why, um, you know, they're in the position that they're in. Yeah, I think that seems to be, I guess, the future of the sport. Um, like you mentioned, it's just going to be more fans trying to make sure that something like this doesn't happen in the future. Uh, and I mentioned later on, uh, I would say near the end of last week's discussion too, that I wouldn't be surprised if something like this does happen in the future, right? Or at least a conversation comes up again. Uh, but it should be dismissed before it even gets put into effect. and. The only way that's going to be possible is if the people who don't want it to happen, which are the people, the fans, the supporters that have been there since the beginning, are going to have a say in it. Um, and it would be interesting to see how it all kind of uh, unfolds from here on out. Chris, you're on mute. I can't hear you. That was weird. I pressed the unmute button and it didn't work. Um, yeah, but uh, I was going to say, um, as, a, as a fan of one of the clubs that 
maybe wasn't the ringleaders. I'll save that for Manchester United, but um, you know, we'll save the banter for another day. K or, um, you know, I, I think it's kind of damaged the relationship between the supporters and the club. And um, you know, I, I don't know how that relationship is going to evolve in the next few years. I don't think the owners are going to try anything like that again. Um, I think it'd be very stupid to try something like that again. Um, but I think that it, it's uh, interesting to see how that's going to um, develop over the next few years in terms of how do the fans try to wrestle more power away from the owners and, you know, hopefully take more control of the sport. But with that, it looks like that'll just about do it for Polar FC. K or Vandy, if you guys have any final thoughts, go ahead. The, the prophecy may come true. I know it's a little bit edited, <laughs> finals, but the prophecy may just come true this year. Big All right, I like tomorrow. the optimism. Big game tomorrow for United. Uh, you know, Europa League hopes are still alive. Well and alive. Hopefully we'll be talking about them next year. Europa League hopes. Small oh. club. <laughs> Wait for it. Wait for it till we lift the trophy and then you're knocked out by PSG, okay? Congratulations. You won the NIT of soccer. <laughs> Come on, don't you know I'm not wrong? But all right, I guess we'll wrap it up there. So this has been episode 10 of Polar FC. Um, yeah, be sure to follow us on Twitter at Polar FC Pod. Um, and you know, looking forward to uh seeing you again this time next week. So for K Orn Vandy, this is Chris saying thanks for listening.